This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Less than two weeks to go before the midterm elections on the 8th of November. And analysts are working round the clock to predict the outcome. Is this going to be a red wave for the Republicans, allowing them to take both the House and Senate from the Democrats? Or will the overturning of Roe versus Wade and its protection of abortion rights be the spur that brings new voters to the polls for the Democrats? And is Donald Trump really as influential over his party as he likes to think he is? This week, my colleague Joni Grieve brings us the latest on all the races to watch, the candidates to pay attention to, and the issues that are dominating the midterm campaign. I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. The midterms just generally don't get as much attention as the presidential races do. That being said, this year seems to be a bit of an outlier. Both Democrats and Republicans have really emphasized the high stakes of these midterms for Democrats. They You'll recognize her voice. That's Joni Grieve, guest host of Politics Weekly America. And for the last few weeks, she's been traveling across the country to get a sense of who voters are choosing for November the 8th. That a uh, two more years of Democratic control of Congress will basically be a blank check for Biden's legislative agenda. And they think that that would be disastrous. And I have to say that it seems like that that conversation about how high the stakes are seems to be translating to voters, because when in some polls, when you ask voters, how motivated are you to uh, vote in the upcoming elections? The levels of enthusiasm are registering at some of the highest levels we've ever seen for a midterm election. So it does really feel like the stakes are high and people know that they're high. And you've been on the road beyond D.C. Just tell us a little bit about your travel itinerary. Where have you been? Yes. So I have been to uh, Ohio now twice to cover the uh, Senate race between uh, Republican author J.D. Vance and uh, Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan, which I'm sure we'll be talking about in a bit. You were calling Trump America's Hitler. Then you kissed his ass. It's not true. It is true. And then you kissed his ass and then he endorsed you. 
and you said he's the greatest president of all time. What percent of your donors have come from the state of Ohio? A very small share. His entire campaign is based on sucking up to the national democratic establishment. And of course they support you, Tim, because you support their policies 100%. And I've also been to Maine, uh, which has a very um, high profile gubernatorial race happening this year. And I was recently in Pennsylvania where I was door knocking with some union organizers who are uh, campaigning on behalf of the Democratic Senate and gubernatorial candidates. And finally, I was in Georgia last month uh, to write a story about the uh, very important Senate race there between uh, Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock and his Republican challenger, Herschel Walker. So you have been all over the map, and I mean that not metaphorically. You've been literally traveling. Before we get into drilling into some of the specific races, and you've mentioned some of them, Let's just um, give our listeners a big picture overall view, because in some ways this is like a general election. We had Simon Rosenberg on the podcast a couple of weeks back, who is a Democratic optimist, capital D, who believes that Democrats' chances have been underrated. I have to say the conventional wisdom, even just in the last 24 hours, 48 hours, the last couple of days has been saying that there are signs of Republican momentum, that it looks very hopeful for them in the House, take retaking the House, but even some optimism that they can make gains and retake both the House and Senate, and talk of Democrats having to shift funding, and that's always a big indicator of how they feel things are going. So talk of a bit of a red wave come November the 8th. What's your view overall of how the momentum is is flowing right now? Yeah, well, I think you really hit the nail on the head. Over the summer, Democrats had a sense that the mo- the momentum was really with them. There were a few different factors going on, in part because uh, Republicans nominated uh, some, um, frankly, pretty weak candidates in some very high-profile Senate races. And there was a very high level of outrage over the reversal of Roe v. Wade, which obviously ended uh, federal protections for abortion access. And at the same time, we were starting to see gas prices come down a little bit. All of those factors combined really gave uh, Democrats a renewed sense of hope that maybe they could avoid the historical trend of the party out of power making huge gains in a midterm election. But in the past couple of weeks, it does seem like the momentum has shifted again back into Republicans' favor. Gas prices were starting to rise up again, although they have started to come back down a bit. And more and more voters are saying that their top issue is the cost of living and the uh, near record high inflation that we are seeing in the U.S. and, in fact, in many countries around the world right now. And so with all that in mind, it does feel like Republicans have uh, been gaining ground in the past few weeks. And with now, with less than two weeks to go before Election Day, they are really gaining ground at the most crucial moment. And some misgivings among Democrats for the strategy that did lead to that optimism, which was to make such a big play of the abortion rights issue, to put that front and centre. Are you detecting any kind of second thoughts about that, thinking perhaps it would have been more sensible to deal with bread and butter, inflation and issues around the you know pocketbook issues around around the economy rather than leaning in so heavily to the abortion rights issue. I think that that question is going to be at the heart of basically every postmortem after the midterm elections happen, regardless of how Democrats perform. To be honest, we really won't know who was right until we see what the results are on November eighth. But I think that this conversation of what should Democrats be focusing on is going to be really key to some of the post midterm analysis for sure. In fact, it's a good sign, a good clue as to whether uh, Democrats do feel they're going to take a bit of a, 
a hit is if the recriminations start early. Still, lots to play for. The momentum has shifted once. It could shift again. Let's dive into the specific uh, races. You've been to so many places, but one of them is Georgia. It's where I'm going to be heading to. Um, That is an embarrassment of riches. There are big races going on there. Um, The big one, I suppose, in terms of the control of the US Congress is the Senate race between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. This race ain't about me. It's about what Raphael Warnock and Joe Biden had done to you and your family. Tonight, he's going to try to sweet talk it that he's doing a good job, but his record speaks for itself. When I think about the arc of my life, the short distance and the long distance from there to here, I know that only in America is my story possible. My family taught me the importance of... We've talked on the podcast about the extraordinary odyssey of Herschel Walker. I mean, some jaw-dropping revelations. How's that race playing out? Right. So when it comes to control of the Senate, I would say that battle really runs through Georgia because if Republicans are able to flip that seat, even with all of Walker's sort of personal baggage, you know, there were these scandals that were unfolding in the past couple of weeks as we learned that um, that Mr. Walker uh, paid for an abortion for his partner uh, back in 2009. watching tonight, can you explain the circumstances surrounding these claims? You have 60 seconds. Well, as I said, that's a lie. And on abortion, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in life. And I tell people this, Georgia is a state that respects life, and I'll be a senator that that protects life. If Republicans are able to flip that seat in the Senate, I think that they have a much, much greater chance of controlling the Senate as a whole. And if we are seeing on election night that Mr. Walker is is either running close with uh, Senator Warnock or is maybe even pulling ahead a bit, I think that really says a lot about Republicans' overall prospects for taking the Senate, taking the House, and winning in some of these down-ballot races as well. It's becoming one of those sort of bellwether states, isn't it? It, it, You know, the victories there... Uh, of Joe Biden was so significant and maybe the pendulum is swinging back the other way. Now, we have a visit uh, coming uh, today, Friday, um, which is the visit of former President Barack Obama to the state of Georgia. What does that tell us, Joni? Is that a sign of confidence or lack of confidence for the former president to be visiting? I suppose he's the Democrats' biggest draw. I think that President Obama's visit to Georgia really shows how Democrats are pulling out all the stops to try to avoid widespread Republican victories on November 8th. And, you know, even though he has been out of office for several years now, President Obama can still attract a huge crowd. So he is a real asset for Democratic candidates. And I think that his appearance in Georgia specifically really underscores the importance of uh, reaching Black voters in some of these crucial races like the Georgia Senate race. And I think Something else that's uh, really interesting about Obama's rally is that it is it's happening as President Biden has largely limited his campaign appearances to closed door fundraisers and some kind of quieter events. And some Democrats are actually downplaying their connections to President Biden because his approval rating, frankly, has been underwater for over a year at this point. Yeah, I mean, and people have, as you say, they've been keeping their distance from Joe Biden. I suppose even it's not just incumbents, is it? Obama is a mesmerizing speaker, which I don't think anyone has ever accused uh, Joe Biden of being. And what about on the Republican side, by the way? Are are they bringing in the big names too? Yes, I mean... uh... The de facto leader of the Republican Party continues to be Donald Trump, and Trump has been holding rallies for months. He really never stopped after he left office in January of 2021. And you have seen him uh, rallying on behalf of a lot of a lot of candidates in battleground states like Ohio and Pennsylvania and North Our Carolina. Our task is to make 
America safe again. Right here in Ohio, our once great cities are now scenes of horror, riddled with bullet holes and soaked in blood. You know that. I will say that I that is one trend that I'm very interested to see play out on Election Day is Will Trump's most ardent supporters still uh, turn up at the polls when his name is not on the ballot? I think that will be a very interesting trend to watch. Fascinating. And also, it sort of works in reverse, too, doesn't it? Without the bogeyman of Donald Trump on the ballot, do Democrats turn out? Because Stop Trump was obviously a massive motivating factor in 2020 and in 2016. It can be slightly harder when he's neither on the ballot nor an incumbent in the White House. Let's move on to Pennsylvania, um, another key battleground state. It's an open race, meaning neither of the two main candidates are the incumbent senator. Instead, it was a seat that had been vacated. We've talked a bit on the podcast about these two fascinating characters. First of all, let's talk about the Senate race, and we'll get on to the governor's race there, because that also really matters. But TV doctor Mehmet Oz for the Republicans against this kind of maverick character, John Fetterman, when we last talked about him on this podcast, he, I mean, already an improbable candidate, but even more so because he had just suffered a stroke. And that seems to have limited or certainly affected the kind of campaign he's running. And let's also talk about the elephant in the room. I had a stroke. He's never let me forget that. And I might miss some words during this debate mush two words together, but it knocked me down, but I'm going to keep coming back up. Again, tell us how that is, how those two candidates are faring in Pennsylvania. For one thing, Mehmet Oz has definitely played, tried to play up concerns about Fetterman's health after his stroke earlier this year. At one point, he suggested that Fetterman was, quote unquote, too sick to fully participate in the campaign. While he does have some lingering symptoms from the stroke he suffered in May, the doctor has said he has no work restrictions and that Fetterman can work full duty in public service. So that is definitely one issue that's at play with the Pennsylvania Senate race. But then uh, at the same time, Oz has really leaned into the issue of crime in his attack ads. As the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, Fetterman, uh, is, he oversees uh, Pennsylvania's board of pardons. And Oz has really tried to uh, weaponize uh, Fetterman's leadership of that board to try to accuse him of being, quote unquote, soft on crime. Oz has basically cut Fetterman's lead in half in the past month. So maybe that some of that is just the kind of the natural narrowing of the race as we get closer to election day. Obviously, Pennsylvania is a battleground state. This was probably always going to be a really close race. But it seems like some of Oz's attack ads are resonating with voters. There is also a big governor's race in that state, which has got garnered a lot of attention. Uh, we've, we've referred to him before, Doug Mastriano. There's this movement here that's going to shock the state here on November 8th. <laughs> it's going to be beautiful. A, a, a candidate really on the outer edge of the far right of the Republican Party. I think he's like he's one of those people who signs up for the big lie of of claiming that Donald Trump uh, won the 2020 election. He's made some other quite alarming um, remarks, suggesting a kind of Christian supremacism for the state. He has a Jewish opponent that's again caught you know got a lot of attention. Tell us about this plan that he has to deregister. Uh, voters in Pennsylvania. It's an odd one that would seems designed to make it harder to vote. 
that proposal is really just one of many of uh, of Mastriano's far right positions. He's also crusaded against COVID mitigation measures like vaccine requirements and mask recommendations. He's warned about the dangers of critical race theory in schools. But that being said, it seems like those far right positions are turning off some independent voters because polling right now indicates that uh, his Democratic opponent, Josh Shapiro, seems to be several points ahead. So it seems like Mastriano's ideas could potentially cost him this race. And I think Democrats were quite keen that Mastriano be the candidate because they did feel he was quite beatable. In fact, that's actually been a tactic around the country. uh, And some Democrats have really disliked it, spoken out against it, of them almost helping uh, more extreme Republican candidates get onto the ballot in those primary contests, thinking you know, some crazy pro-Trump guy who denies the election is more beatable than a mainstream uh, Republican. And I suppose Mastriano is one example of many. I mean, so far, is it is it possible to work out how that tactic, that a strategy of Democrats is, is faring? I think it's hard to say right now. And, you know, this is a strategy that it has gotten a, a lot of criticism already. Even if characters like Mastriano end up losing their race, Some Democrats have gotten criticized for trying to elevate some of the more far right candidates in primaries because, as you said, they think that Democrats thought that they would be easier to beat in a general election. But if the environment is really favorable for Republicans on November 8th and some of these candidates like potentially Mastriano end up riding that red wave into office, basically, then I think there's going to be a lot of finger pointing among Democrats that they help to elevate some of these election denying candidates. That's not really new, but it feels a little bit different for a lot of people when the candidate that they are elevating does not believe in free and fair elections. And so I think that is another big conversation that we're going to have after November 8th is, did Democrats make a fatal error here? You're so right. And I think you and I, between us now, drawing up the agenda for the post-November 8th meeting that could happen among Democrats if things don't go their way. And that will certainly be an item high on that agenda. Let's move across the map as we moved and talk about other key states. We um, talked about the contest in Nevada a few weeks back um, with the great sage of Nevada politics, John Ralston, joining us. Uh, A lot of people are paying attention to that state, including um, prominent Democrats who have been, you know, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders and others who've been traveling west, urging Democrats to stay with the party because they realise that this is one of those ones that could, again, determine whether the Senate stays in Democratic hands or flips to the Republicans. Well, I do think that Nevada is going to be such an interesting state to watch on election night. I think it's also telling that uh, that is another state that President Obama will be visiting as he uh, goes to some of the battleground states, because obviously President Obama had a lot of success in Nevada, and he is now going to go there to rally for candidates like Senator Catherine Cortez Masto, basically to send them a message of, you voted for me once, now can you vote for this other Democrat who I endorse? I don't need to tell you these are challenging times. That's why we need leaders in Washington who will do what's right, not what's easy. Leaders who will get things done for the people they serve. That's the kind of leader Catherine Cortez Masto is. When we look at the races that are happening in Arizona, I think so much of those races will come down to the individual candidates. When we think about the Senate race in Arizona, we have the incumbent Mark Kelly running against a um, Republican, uh, Blake Masters, who has also uh, received criticism for some of his past comments about the uh, 2020 election. But the thing is that 
Kelly is a pretty hard candidate to run against. He is a former astronaut. His wife, former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords, has become well known for her advocacy against gun violence after she herself was shot at an event in 2011. And his likability numbers are very high for a sitting Democratic senator in Arizona. So it seems like he might be more difficult to beat. But when you look at the governor's race, it seems like the Republican there, Carrie Lake, could actually have a really decent shot at victory uh, because uh, her opponent does doesn't necessarily have that quite that same charisma that Kelly does. And this is this would be a very fascinating resurgence of ticket splitting, which was said to be all the political scientists say that's in decline, where people would vote for one office of uh, for one party and then for another job they would elect somebody from the other party. It would be fascinating if Arizona goes the way you've suggested, and there are other states too where it does look as if that may happen, where Democrats will win one of the. Uh, big post, but but lose another one. Uh, Arizona's had a lot of attention again because of this theme about of election denial. Uh, Carrie Lake, former TV uh, host uh, and a big face on Arizona television, is one of the most vocal deniers of the 2020 election. And we've watched as our election day has turned into election week and election weeks and now election month. And the longer you drag that out, the more fraught with problems there are. We just saw problems this week with Katie Hobbs. Again, we've talked about it on this podcast. This is a big issue. It's a big point at stake in these elections, isn't it? That you could have a whole raft of people in key positions across the United States of America who don't believe the last election was won fair and square. When we think about some of these election denying candidates getting into key posts like the attorney general or the secretary of state in these battleground states, that could have huge repercussions for 2024, because if the if the 2024 race is very close, as it very likely will be, we had a very close result in 2016. We had a very close result in 2020. It is completely feasible that we will see that again in 2024. And some of these election nine candidates could be in these crucial roles where they're where they are able to kind of gum up the works in the days after the election and just delay, delay, delay until it becomes very difficult to certify the actual winner of a race. And at that point, we could be in a very murky and dangerous spot in terms of the the constitutional guarantee of a peaceful transfer of power. No, absolutely. I mean, people saw in 2020 how important those officials were, those people in Arizona, not famous, unsung, counting the votes. And it was crucial again in 2016, one way or another. Uh, and it, it, it is those posts that are getting filled right now. So if you're worried about 2024, you, in a way, the message is you do need to vote in 2022 for these reasons. Uh, Arizona, we just talked before we leave Arizona, we should say that there is voting already going on there as it is in a whole lot of other states, Georgia and other places included. We do like talking about election day, but there are actually weeks of voting, including millions who've taken uh, advantage of their right to uh, vote early in Arizona. From what I can see, the reports are that the turnout is pretty high. How do you read the high turnout now, for example, in Arizona? Who do you think that's going to benefit? Yeah, I think that it is really interesting to see that early voting in this midterms is on track to match records set in 2018. So I think that really reflects what we were talking about earlier, which is that voters seem very enthusiastic about these midterms. And as of now, in a lot of these uh, closely watched states, Democrats are seem to be casting early votes, early votes in greater numbers. But that being said, we should remember that 
Donald Trump and his allies have really worked to sow some baseless distrust in early voting and absentee voting. And so I think we will see an even higher proportion of Election Day voting happening among Republican voters. Uh, It is entirely possible that Republicans show up in massive numbers on Election Day itself. Yeah, this is the phenomenon, the blue mirage and then the red wave. You know, it can keep happening where it appears illusorily that the early votes go for one, but then the later votes go for the other or the other way around, depending which votes get counted first. Uh, let's just end our little whistle stop tour of the uh, uh, of the country with another state that we will be traveling to as part of uh, our road trip. I'll be heading there to Ohio. You know, once this was considered a, a really important swing state and Democrats and Republicans would have a kind of tug of war, uh, sometimes one winning it sometimes the next it's been pretty solidly republican for a while and democrats had sort of all but given up on it president uh, biden went there in ohio it's two very interesting candidates one on each side and yet some reports that the democrat is being pretty well left on his own to fight that race because the national party are not putting money in to back him who is getting this state right do you think well, so I've actually I've been to Ohio twice now in in the months leading up to uh, Election Day. I was there back in April before the very heated Republican Senate primary came to a close. And I was just there again a few weeks ago. And when you talk to Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan's campaign, they are very enthusiastic and they are very hopeful that he will be able to pull this off. Ryan was able to really out fundraise his opponent, Republican author J.D. Vance, uh, in the summer months and heading into the final stretch of the campaign. And he used that money to blast the airwaves with ads that really cast him as more of a as more of a centrist candidate to try to appeal appeal to Ohio's independent voters. And here come the culture wars. I'm not that guy. I'm Tim Ryan and I approve this message. Still got it. And it did seem like that that strategy was working well, and he did was performing very well in the polls. That being said, it seems like since September, since that crucial stretch of the campaign after Labor Day, it seems like Vance has kind of course corrected a little bit. He has gotten more ads in the on the air. He has tried to really hammer the the issue of crime, which well, that is a broader strategy for the Republican Party in this midterm season. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's crime. It's the terrible crisis at the southern border. And it's the price of everything. You know, Tim Ryan, my Democrat opponent, has actually swamped the airwaves pretending that he never supported the radical defund the police movement. He has also been doing more campaign events to try to uh, reach more voters and convince them to turn out on Election Day. Even Republican strategists in Ohio will acknowledge that Tim Ryan has run a very good campaign. But it's important to acknowledge that J.D. Vance really has the advantage going into this race. Donald Trump won Ohio by roughly eight points in 2020, and he won by that margin even after polls showed that it seemed like Ohio was very close at that time. And so We've had some polling misses in recent years in the U.S., and Ohio is a really a vivid example of that. In both 2016 and 2020, it seemed like it was up for grabs in the presidential, and in both cases, it ended up going for Trump in uh, what we would consider to be somewhat of a landslide for a state like Ohio by you know several points. Yeah, and, and another item to include on the uh, reasons for pessimism among some Democrats is that point you make about polling. Uh, there is a belief among some Democrats that polling in an almost structural way, undercounts or overcounts Democrats and undercounts Republicans. Are there any upsets that you've got your eye on or you'd you'd place a sort of small cheeky bet on? 
between Wisconsin and Florida, if there's going to be a Democratic upset, I would think it's much more likely to happen in Wisconsin, right? In some ways, Wisconsin is the ultimate battleground state in the U.S. And so so I would say that Mende- uh, the Democratic Senate candidate, Mandela Barnes, has a real shot there to unseat Ron Johnson. But I think that Johnson still probably has a still has the greater odds of victory. Florida has been the site of a lot of Democratic broken dreams in the past several years. And so Val Demings is trying to buck recent history by seeking to unseat Marco Rubio. And so I think I would be much more surprised if uh, Demings was able to pull off an upset there. But you know, that being said, never count anybody out. Yeah. And there is a story, isn't there, across the country of quite strong candidates putting up strong fights in states that in the end they probably won't win. I'm just thinking partly of, you know, Beto O'Rourke in Texas. Big charismatic candidates, but yet in the end, when all said and done, they may well not come through. Um, a last question to you, Joni, which is not a place where necessarily you're expecting an upset, but where are the places that people should be looking for, as as I, I used the word bellwether before, but places that indicate where the country itself might be going? What are those telling places that can reveal a larger national story? Right. Well, not to shamelessly plug my team's journalism, but the Guardian U.S. politics team did an entire series on the state of Georgia, which everyone should read. And I think our choice in uh, Georgia as a key battleground state reflects how crucial it is going to be for both parties, particularly when we think about the Senate race. If Herschel Walker is able to pull off a victory there despite all of his baggage, that will really say so much about uh, the Republicans' broader prospects. And also, it will give Republicans a much better shot at taking the Senate, and it almost certainly means that they're probably taking the House. And I think it's also really interesting because Georgia is obviously on the East Coast. So we will start to see some results from them on the earlier side of election night. And if it does look like Reverend Warnock is about to lose or if you know Walker's keeping that race quite close, I think that that will be a, a good sign that of where the rest of the night is heading. And the night could start to look like a red wave sweeping Democrats out of office. We will be able to report on all of this close up in the coming weeks. For now, though, Joni Greaves, Senior Political Reporter for Guardian US. Thanks so much for speaking with me on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. And that is all from me for this week. The next time you'll hear from me, I will be in the state of Georgia, looking at what role race will play in these elections. Joe Biden famously thanked black voters for winning him the presidential election of 2020. And yet after two years of Republican legislation which have gutted voting rights, will black voters be able to turn out for the Democrats like they did last time? And given the lack of federal protections coming from the Biden White House, will they want to? And if they can't and don't turn out, what will be the knock-on effect for future elections? So make sure to listen in next Wednesday, different day, Wednesday, November the 2nd, for the first of five midterm election specials. But for now, it's goodbye. The producers this week were Danielle Stevens and Frankie Toby. The executive producer is Maz Ebtahaj. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.